would you go to like a Wu-Tang show now? Do you feel as excited about it, you know? Like, or, <laughs> or is it? I mean, the locks were just in Pittsburgh as part of like the city's like 50 year hip hop celebration. Now, obviously, I've been sick, so I wouldn't have been able to go. But if I were not sick, would I have gone to see a group, which is one of my favorite groups? Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure. Maybe. And just that maybe, it's like, wait, here they are performing at a venue, five-minute drive from where you live, and you're like, eh, maybe. If I were healthy, maybe I would have gone. Welcome back, everyone, to Suck With Damon Young, the show where we're, we're trying so hard, just so very hard, not to be the old nigga who thinks everything now is trash. So as we celebrate hip-hop's 50th birthday, I'm joined by music journalist and author Clover Hope as we discuss our evolving feelings about rap and also just why contemporary female rappers seem to be so much more interesting and impactful than their male counterparts. And then I'm joined by NPR's Rodney Carmichael to help someone who also thinks everything today is trash and wants to know if that's true or if that's just their own personal biases. All right, y'all. Let's get it. Clover Hope is the author of the amazing book, The Motherlode, 100 Plus Women Who Made Hip Hop. Clover, what's going on? What's good? A lot is good. Everything's good. Nothing's good. (laughs) That's... (laughs) Okay. Like the usual. So many ways to go with that answer. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Appreciate the candor. Appreciate the honesty. Most people will be like, you know, what's good? I'm great. (laughs) Everything is good. Right, right. So I guess I want to get started with this question. I wanted to know, like for you, when did you first fall in love with hip hop? When did that happen? There were a lot of seminal moments. Mm -hmm. Falling in love with hip hop itself. I think it was a series of just coming-of-age realizations, essentially. Mm-hmm. I came to America from Guyana when I was a year old with my family, with my mom, and then my dad. And we lived in Brooklyn at first and then Queens. So Guyanese family, we were mostly listening to a lot of reggae, soca. Mm-hmm. I grew up with a lot of that around the house. My dad had a record player and just like vinyl sitting around that I would flip through. None of it was hip-hop. Because <laughs> this was like the early 80s that we came here, early to mid 80s. Uh-huh. So one was MC Hammer. And I just remember like seeing that MC Hammer final amongst like Madonna and Michael Jackson, Thriller, Whitney Houston. And I was, you know, like maybe eight to 12 years old. DMX is the first record that I remember downloading from Napster. Like it's dark and hell is hot. I was 13, 14. And I just fell in love with that. Very blunt and angry. <laughs> And when you're like just a teenager and I was just kind of in my basement room, just being like, I hate everything. Like why, you know, like just feeling lonely and just kind of like isolated and even surrounded by people, you know, he kind of helped me express anger, basically. I guess it's funny how much overlap there is with your story with my story. Mm -hmm. You know, I was in Italy the summer after my freshman year of college. This is 98 where I played ball in college. We went over to Italy to stay over there for like a week and play Italian teams over there. 
Now, I had just torn my ACL that summer, so I wasn't able to play, but I was able to just be with the team and hang out or whatever. So we're on the, like these beaches in Rome, and I'm playing DMX. You know what I mean? Because I actually was like the radio Rahim of the team, bro. I was the one who always had the Walkman or had like the, the boom box. I had a boom box in 1998. Anachronism already at that point. And I was playing DMX on the beach. And like these Italians who weren't speaking English were really into Rough Riders Anthem. <laughs> right? They wanted me to keep playing that <laughs> over and over again. Yeah. And also uh, Get At Me, dog. You know, and just the energy of those songs was transcendent language. Now, there were some other DMX tracks where I would play them, like Stop Being Greedy and um, some of the more grimier tracks. And they were like, uh, okay, this is, this is a little scary. <laughs> <laughs> but again, that vibration, the way that music speaks to you at like a lower frequency is something, again, that you don't even need to understand English to have that feeling. Yeah, And even talking about how you fell in love with hip-hop, my first tape was LL Cool J's I Bad. And so I had that. I had like Boogie Down Productions. I had um, Public Enemy, It Takes a Nation to Millions. And De La Soul, I remember I love it, me, myself, and I. But the first rapper who I like, holy shit, I want to be this nigga, was MC Hammer. Mm. The thing that I really, obviously his energy and his music, but also his hair. <laughs> because he had like the S curl with the parts going all the way around and I wanted my parents to allow me to do that. Right, right. Yeah, you had those uh, big old pants that then came back. Yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't, you know, the the, the hammer pants, you know, I I didn't really need those. Yeah. (laughs) I didn't really need to dress like him, but I wanted hair like him. Right, right. And again, I'm, you know, I'm 44 now and haven't grown up. And I guess I fell in love with hip hop, like again, probably like my freshman, sophomore year of high school when I first started getting into Wu-Tang. Mm-hmm. Like, I wasn't just into Wu. Like, I was a nigga wearing Clark Wallabies, you know, shopping at the Army-Navy store, getting the fisherman caps, wearing <laughs> fatigues to school. I rocked Wu wear. Like, I thought that I was in the Wu. You were like the 16th member or something. Yeah, yeah. I was like Capadonna's cousin or something. <laughs> yeah. And so what I want to get at with that is that a lot of us who are you know, hip-hop heads have very similar journeys in terms of, you know, how we first got into it, how we first fell in love with it. Do you feel the same way now? No, it's more complicated having been in the industry versus when I was just becoming a teenager. And you kind of learn the complexities a little bit more. Um, And now I'm turning 40 this year. So, you know, that's three-ish decades of just kind of being immersed in hip-hop first as a fan and then actually being in some ways part of the industry and working at hip-hop magazines, at Vibe and XXL, and, you know, on a mainstream level, Billboard, covering hip-hop. I feel the same way about its massiveness because I think when I started getting into it, it was right when it was becoming this global sensation in 98. And I always cite this fact that in 1998 was the first year that sales of uh, hip-hop albums basically surpassed country music for the first time. It literally became like the highest selling genre, just as I was kind of like getting into it, which means that I'm becoming a fan at the same time that it's changing a lot. Yeah. Like I recognize that, you know, the more it's changed, you know, from my era of 
to me, the 90s was such a golden era. I bet everybody thinks that whatever they came up on is the golden era, but it was like Hot Boys and Juvenile and DMX and Bad Boy and Jay-Z and Nas and, you know, Outkast. And like you had all of these regional success stories and it wasn't focused on one city or one area. Mm-hmm. That was really like, okay, this is regional is becoming this, you know, sensation And then it almost feels like it narrowed again. Even as it got bigger, you still really have being allowed to sort of like dominate at once or one type of hip hop sound, if that makes sense, you know, or trend. Well, yeah, yeah. There's a certain homogeneity with what is popular. Right, right. Not with what exists, but with what is popular. And, you know, you're someone who, again, you've worked for these publications. So, you you know, you quote unquote see how the sausage has been made. Mm -hmm. But I'm curious also just about your feelings about like the music itself Mm -hmm. and your relationship with the music itself, not necessarily the genre, but in terms of just listening to hip hop. And, And I guess I'm asking you this, I'm projecting a bit because like, I feel like each year I am less and less interested. Definitely feel you. And I'm curious if it is something that is about like the music itself, where maybe hip hop music is just inherently young and inherently like countercultural, inherently something that is more youth driven, or is it that the genre isn't old enough? I mean, it just had its 50 year birthday or whatever you want to call it last week. So maybe the genre hasn't aged long enough to age. Yeah. In a way that rock does or whatever, um, or other genres of music have. Right. Because, like, it's not even necessarily that I'm less interested in, like, newer stuff. I'm less interested in listening to the shit that I loved. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? And so I'm curious, like, do you think it's the music itself? Do you think it's something about us? I think it's a combination of things, which is usually my answer. (laughs) But... Yes, like the aging, if you consider, like, it's still the youngest genre. And if we think about a lot of musicians that we fall in love with or artists, you know, you're growing with them, you're evolving with them. It's almost like, you know, yes, like I follow Beyonce from Destiny's Child, and now I can enjoy her still in the same way as she's changing as an artist or kind of reinventing or Janet, people in non-strictly hip-hop fields. But hip-hop hasn't been a genre where people can put out albums that consistently over a long period of time. It's only really recently that you have, like, the Nas's and Jay-Z's and Snoop's, you know, in past, what, I would say five to ten years, Mm -hmm. maybe even shorter, kind of putting out albums in their 40s. And because the genre is so young, yes, now you can have, like, basically these rappers who were peaking in the 90s still putting out music that is very good, basically. And there's a point where, you know, rappers from the 80s kind of, in terms of popularity, they weren't consistently releasing records or touring. So if you think about even residencies where Celine Dion can kind of like be in the atmosphere still through her Vegas residency or rock stars are just always touring, Mm -hmm. you know, they have that legacy trend going. I think we are just now seeing legacy hip hop artists, basically, or that being a thing where can make money touring. And so I definitely dropped off after, like when I went from working at Vibe to Jezebel, I just wasn't 
listening to as much hip hop. Part of it was just work and your life changes. I'm not Mm -hmm. discovering it the same way or going out to places like listening sessions and things like that. You know, like your actual life changes, I think is part of it too. That's a great point. It's like, you know, part of um, when I was, I guess, in my listenership prime, the discovery of new shit was part of the fun of it. Yeah. Whether it was back in the day hearing like a Clue mixtape or Funk Flex or, you know, drama or whoever. And then, you know, you go on and now there's like that piff and all of those sites that had like the mixtapes on them. And so part of it, again, you had that discovery of like, oh, I found some new shit. It's too much. It's too hard. <laughs> to, to continue to, to look for new shit because, again, you just have life changes. Right. But there's also, you know, a really interesting quote from uh, Dream Hampton in an interview with Helena Andrews of the Washington Post. And I'll just read the quote. Mm-hmm. Now, well, the question from Helena was, do you believe hip-hop is revolutionary? Was it ever? And Dream said, you can't be a revolutionary with broken gender politics. You can't be a revolutionary and be homophobic. And this is before we even get to capitalism, to be homophobic, transphobic, and misogynist. No, you're not revolutionary. You're not even a radical. You're actually quite status quo. What it was was a radical sound. And that's not even true anymore. Yeah, that's what I mean with actually being part of the industry and seeing the innards almost. You know, you almost have this glamorized version, or a lot of fans probably have this glamorized version of hip hop. And when I started out listening, I fell in love with DMX at the same time that as, you know, he was very much spitting like homophobic uh, (laughs) lyrics and it was so rampant. And it was almost like, okay, like this is a default. Um, And at the same time, I'm questioning, okay, I like this music, but it's clearly objectifying women in videos. It's clearly treating women and just like this entire sort of gender as objects and as just kind of accessories. And so that was very much aware of that from the beginning. And so it takes some of the glamour off when you, one, just grow older and realize as a woman that you almost get pushed out of it or you just, it's like, what is my place in this genre? And then you also just experience, like just being kind of belittled or being seen as secondary in some way or just like different like okay like you can't possibly be like a hardcore rap fan like name me whatever album by so-and-so that came out (laughs) on this day month or whatever i would agree with dream like i think that and i think that might be one of the things that makes me less interested mm-hmm. in the music. And the thing is, it's not like I'm a motherfucking Pollyanna. It's not like I'm like some perfectly conscientious motherfucker like the rest of the time. You know what I mean? Like I've tried listening to like more conscious rap or gospel rap. And it's like fucking choke me with a spoon. <laughs> <laughs> right? right? So so I want to, you have this like paradox where the rap that I want to listen to is more aggressive or antagonistic or violent or whatever you know now kanye probably was my favorite rapper but even his music yeah he wasn't talking about shooting people but there's a lot of like misogyny and just a whole lot of shit that just it's a thrill about through his music right and so there's that but then there's also the fact that, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like it is tougher to be as into that. It's tougher to have that sort of cognitive dissonance. Yeah. 
now as you get a little bit older. But again, the music that doesn't do that, I'm just not as interested in, right? So it presents this kind of awkward dichotomy where it's like, well, what the fuck am I supposed to do with this? Now, one thing I will say in your work deals with this quite a bit is that um, it does seem like, and this is just from, you know, I consider myself maybe more of an outsider now, but it does seem like the most exciting personalities in rap today are women. Yes, yes. And I don't recall a time where that was true, where, you know, obviously you have Drake, you have Kendrick who are charting the way that they do. But in terms of like the zeitgeisty, the people who are, I guess, influencing like just the mood and the tenor of the conversation of rap today, it is female rappers. Yes, yeah. And the style, even going back to Hammer and you wanting to have that hair, <laughs> you know, like yeah. the women are just influencing pop culture in general. I started seeing it, obviously, like it's almost like now you can look back in retrospect and kind of see the touch points. And Nicki Minaj really was like that kind of for Nicki, after Nicki, I think in the same way that there was like before Lil' Kim and after Lil' Kim. Like I, nothing was the same. And so, you know, I think that with her success and just her kind of coming in with this multiplicity in some way, like she could kind of be multiple personalities and styles and sounds. This is successful. As a business, I want to sign a woman who like kind of can give me that as well. At the same time, you had the women just kind of like creating their own lanes. And I think Dream also said something about the women pre-Nikki. It's like you had to have this co-sign, like some coming in to the game through, you know, like a man who's kind of uh, co-signing your skills, credibility, whatever. And it's hard to think of like so many of the women kind of dominating now just carved their lane themselves. Obviously, social media has a lot to do with that. I mean, that's been kind of like constant conversation, but yeah, I think there were a lot of basically elements that had to line up for women to be so omnipresent as they are now in hip hop. And I do attribute some of it to Nicki, a lot of it to social media, Cardi B also opening that lane. And then it's, you know, just a flood of talent, but also diverse, uh, not to use that word hashtag, but <laughs> like different types of like no name being as talked about or, you know, like in the conversation with Lotto, with Cardi just kind of see these names pop up all the time. And that feels nice. But at the same time, you know, like you said, it's, it's that's happening as, again, turning 40 this year. And I definitely don't listen to as much hip hop as I did when I was 13, even 20, 30. And I think it's a good uh, question to, I like just to dissect like what happens to a hip hop fan as they grow older also, not just the genre, but like, us, you know. Yeah, what happens to us? Would you go to like a Wu Tang show now? Do you feel as excited about it? You know, like or, <laughs> or is it? I mean, the locks were just in Pittsburgh as part of like the city's like fifty year hip hop celebration. Now, obviously, I've been sick, so I wouldn't have been able to go. But if I were not sick, would I have gone to see a group which is one of my favorite groups? Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure. Maybe. And just that maybe, it's like, wait, you grew up listening to the locks. You love Jada. You love Styles. You love Chic. You know what I mean? You love the production. Here they are performing at a venue, five-minute drive from where you live. And you're like, ah, maybe. If I were healthy, maybe I would have gone. 
Mm. So there's that. And, you know, I want to get back to your point about Nikki, too, because this is something that I think, you know, it gets discussed, but I don't think it gets discussed the way that it needs to be in terms of how her verse on Monster yes. <laughs> basically changed rap music. Yeah. One of the things that, and you brought this up, that makes Nikki so unique is how she's able to change voice. Mm-hmm. She has like multiple personalities and multiple different people that she could bring out in a verse. And she did that on Monster. And that verse, you know, obviously just blew everyone's fucking minds away when she did that. And I'm curious if you think that if there's a direct line with her just murdering that verse on like one of the most critically acclaimed rap albums ever, you know what I mean? On a track with Ye, on a track with Jay, on a track with Rick Ross recorded in his Uber or whatever. That was a terrible <laughs> verse. But, yeah, it was like five but, seconds. Um, actually, Jay-Z's verse on that was bad, too. Yeah, they were all, <laughs> honestly. It's almost like they heard what Nikki did, and they were like, fuck, I, it just broke their brains. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> they weren't able to, like, perform up to the regular standard after her verse or after listening to her verse. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, so you have her verse and how she is many different diverse sorts of sounds in one person. And now you have this landscape where you have so many different types of female rapper, Mm -hmm. right? And to your point, also, I, I do think that there is a connectivity with the advent of social media. And I think that many of these women are just better at it or more adept you know, they're better at tweeting, they're better at IG, they're better at TikTok, and they're taking advantage of these platforms in a way that male rappers just aren't. Yeah, we're resourceful. Maybe men are lazy. <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> no generalizations here. But like, I mean, yeah, no, you can I, go. You can, you can <laughs> that was a joke. But I do think about, yes, like that monster verse was excitement. And I think part of what we're talking about is the way that a rap artist can create excitement for the genre just with, it could be a song, an album, a verse. It could be just phrasing a line that people are like, your mind's blown. And I think about like, there are certain artists who do that. Missy Elliott's Lauren Hill, mm-hmm. you know, Outcasts. anytime Andre 3000 releases something. And that makes us want to listen. And so Nikki with that monster verse created this excitement that not only that, is this tide shift. DMX falls into that same lane, 50 Cent, where you can create enough excitement that it almost like you bring the whole genre with you and you just kind of collect, you know, it's like, all right, this we're going this way. Like everyone else has kind of already been going straight. We're going this way. And if you don't come, you're kind of like left behind. So Nikki is one of those that I do kind of, there was this tide shift for, in general, I think just in hip hop, in terms of combining hip hop, rap, and pop, and the shift of who's allowed to be called a rapper almost. There was that whole debate with Peter Rosenberg with Hot 97, just calling her that whole sellout argument, or like, oh, you're not hip hop, basically, because you sing. <laughs> and then we also have Drake now singing and rapping. So I do attribute that, you know, like that is a line. And I think also just tying it into the combo about what changes about us as fans. Maybe it's that part of it is that excitement. And it's like a lot of the excitement I've gotten recently has been like through women. Like when Cardi B's album came out, I was like, this is what I was waiting for. (laughs) Like this is Mm -hmm. everything. And then Megan 
just dominating. Even like Lotto having Mariah Carey sample is just fun and exciting. I think they're creating that sort of like thrill that you need in hip hop and also to mix things up. I mean, I think a lot of the shift was, you know, Nikki just kind of allowing more formulas for success. Like people need to see this works, that doesn't work. Like, oh, this, you know, I can do this and actually be successful. And, you know, now we have Doja Cat who's in that direct lineage succeeding on a massive scale. Yeah, the best the best verse that I've heard this year was Doja Cat on the Kill Bill remix. Like mm-hmm. the the most lyrical, the most interesting, the most vivid. And Cardi on that um Gorilla song too. Yes, yeah. Condos yeah. In, in that bitch head. Yeah. 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 Like the best lines, the best kind of comebacks. Yeah, a lot of it is the women. And part of that maybe is like they have so much to say. They've been mm-hmm almost like silent for so long that yes there's so much like i i've wanted to hear like just party tracks by women it's in you know like forever like that's exciting so clover um can you tell us a bit about your i guess your new series that's debuting with audible yeah so the book that i published in 2021 is now available as an audiobook and it on audible and can listen for free 99 free and and a good way to describe it is a literal oral history where you're hearing the book out loud uh, from me. So I'm narrating, but also with an incredible lineup of voice talent, Remy Ma, MC Light, Nia Long, Lauren London, Janelle James, Andy Martinez, and Chloe Bailey. And oh, wow. it's music, it's archive. And, you know, it's, it's a, I'd kind of describe it as sort of a mixtape where you have the surprise around the corner. Um, like uh, there's a section with Chloe Bailey reading um, lewd lyrics that is quite uh, thrilling <laughs> <laughs> and fascinating. And MC Light reading Cardi B's slogan. So it's like a fun lesson, based, you know, version of the book. The Mother Load. Yes, The Mother Load. 100 plus women who made hip hop. Clover Hope, thank you for coming through. Appreciate thank you. you. This is wonderful. Up next is Dear Damon for Rodney Carmichael. But first, Damon Hates. This week's Damon Hates is going to be a little bit short. If you listened last week, you learned that I have COVID. I still do. At least the last time I tested myself, I'm still positive, even though I'm still feeling better. And so this Damon Hates is in relation to that because having COVID, being sick, made me miss the only annual Pittsburgh outdoor event that I look forward to, which is called Barrel and Flow, the world's largest festival of black brewers. Now, I am not a beer drinker. Like, I drink beer, I probably drink more beer at the festival each year than I do every 364 other days combined, right? And I don't even drink the beer. I'll I'll drink, like, the cider or because they have multiple different stations or whatever. But it's, like, the one day, the one day of the year that Pittsburgh feels like, I don't know, it feels like D.C. It feels like 
Bed-Stuy even, which is blasphemous to say, but if you've been to Barrel and Flow, you would agree with me. And that it feels like, oh shit, this is a place where I want to live. This is a place that is vibrant, that is fun, that is black, that is diverse. You know what I mean? And again, I look forward to this outdoor event every year. I plan my outfits. I plan my haircuts. I eat beforehand, knowing that you know what I'm going to drink this and drink that. We make tremendous plans. Both my wife and I make tremendous plans. And we don't get we don't really get a chance to do a lot of things together. You know what I mean? Take a lot of trips spend a lot of that sort of outside of the house quality time. And so this is the thing that we have circled on our calendars every year to look forward to. But motherfucking COVID, I get COVID, can't go. I, 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 I kept my fingers crossed, hoping that, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rest up. I have the virus. I'm going to rest up. I'm going to take all the pills I need to take. I'm going to sleep. And then I'm going to test myself Saturday morning. And if I'm negative, then maybe... Maybe if I'm if I'm negative and I'm feeling better, then I'll allow myself to go. Nope. Still possible. Now, it did rain. <laughs> it did rain during the beer fest this year, which, you know, I'm I'm at home hating. <laughs> so there's that. <laughs> so it wasn't a total loss for me. But again, I just hate that this fucking virus made me miss the one Pittsburgh event the one outdoor Pittsburgh event that I look forward to every year. So this week on Dear Damon, we're joined by Rodney Carmichael. Uh, Rodney Carmichael is a hip hop critic for NPR Music, big fan of his work. Rodney, what's good? Oh man, I'm, I'm good. Excited to talk to you, longtime fan. So, you know. Same, same. Just looking forward to this interview for a bit. So, Morgan, Morgan, the producer, what we got this week? Dear Damon, are my ears old or is new rap and hip hop just bad compared to older generations? Okay, this question is straight to the point. <laughs> I love it. Now, Rodney, um, if you mind me asking, how old are you? I'm in my 40s. I'm on the, the upper end, I guess you could say. Same. I'll be 45 this year. So we're okay. same age, Yeah, came up the same time, same era, whatever. Right, right. How would you answer that question? I mean, we all understand hip-hop, for the most part, up until very recently, has been a youth culture-driven music. So, you know, if you 45 plus, it probably ain't for you. You know, it's not for our ears. We are not supposed to hear it and love it in the same way that somebody half our age does because it's not speaking to us. I mean, the artists are half our age. And um, honestly, if you love it too much, it might be a problem. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I had to check myself like, oh, man, this, this Uzi Vert is speaking to me. I don't know what that says, you know. I mean, I will admit that fuck you mean... <laughs> Gunna could be on my stoop right now, and I would not be able to recognize him, but I know that song. Right. You know what I mean? And it's catchy, and you know, I put it on one of my playlists when I'm in the car. But I feel like that question, I don't know. It, it's something that I've actually been grappling with myself, too, because, you know, I try very hard not to be the old nigga. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Like the one who can't evolve, the one who can't grow, the one who thinks... Everything from when he was young is better 
than everything now. You know what I mean? It particularly annoys me with like sports, particularly NBA mm-hmm. conversations. When people act like the game just stopped evolving in like the nineties. It's like, well, fuck it. You feel that way because you were fifteen watching grown men. Mm-hmm. So of course you're not going to be as impressed at forty watching twenty five year olds. That's just that's just the way it is. And so like with the music, again, I still fuck with you know younger artists, Drake sometimes. I'm in a certain mood. Kendrick. Definitely. Nikki. Yeah. Tyler, the creator. You know what I mean? And these are people that I could like, oh, okay. I could I could hear it. I could hear like the I could hear the rigor. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? I could hear the thoughtfulness and the construction of the verses. All right. But when I try to listen to some of the younger, younger, younger guys now, like someone like a Playboy Cardi, mm-hmm. for instance. I've heard you talk about Playboy Cardi. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, did this nigga just die in the booth? Like, did he did he go in the booth? Is that his thing? He goes in the booth and he dies, <laughs> right? Yeah, I cannot for the life of me. I and I hate not, especially as a person who writes about music and hip hop. I hate not being able to get something, even if it ain't for me. But yeah, I, I have to admit the Cardi thing still just kind of confuses me just a little bit. But I mean, it's, it's bigger than Cardi. Like, it's it's a whole, like, Cardi subgenre, you know, of cats that sound like him. And I have to talk to younger writers to have a sense of, like, how to interpret, you know what I'm saying, what it is that he's saying that they're connecting with because I don't get it. I mean, a dude is from Atlanta, too. That's the other thing. It's like, I, I don't see that when I look outside. I have not seen, I didn't see the Cardi era of, of dressing and style happen here so and to your point and i don't want to make it just like a shit on playboy cardi uh show right episode right right but like even okay so i listened to travis scott's new album mm. and he has a one track theme that features playboy cardi on it and i listened to the first verse which is mostly travis it's like oh whatever it's travis scott second verse is cardi and i'm like what is happening? But then you go on YouTube or you go on Twitter and you see people talking about that verse and it's like the second coming of God just like appeared on the track. And I'm like, what What? What am I missing? What is happening? Is it just the air deafness? Or as you're saying, is it just that we are just not supposed to? Like it's just, you know, as, you know, people in their 40s, you're just not supposed to get it the way that someone in their 20s is. Yeah, I I, I don't even try to, like, uh, get too bent out of shape about it, you know? I mean, <laughs> I do try to listen. I try to listen. I try to hear what any artist is trying to do, you know? And a lot of times with the young cats, you know, it's about vibe and it's about, um, it's about just capturing a certain rhythmic energy, you know what I mean? They ain't really necessarily trying to communicate the same way that our generation was or the cats older than us were communicating to us through rap. You know what I mean? So I don't know. It's working for them on some level, I suppose. I do think that question, though, is a, is a relevant question. It's a question that people continue to grapple with. Like, even though aesthetics change, can you say that they're changing for the better or worse I don't know. I mean, I feel like our parents, you know, my dad was throwing away rap in the golden era. 
he was like, oh, this is trash. What are they doing? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, you know, I mean, for the Motown generation or what have you, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure they still scratching their heads to a degree. And it's to that point, though. It's like, well, okay, so if you're coming of age, you're listening to rap in like the 90s, you know what I mean? And you're trying to explain and you're trying to sell someone who's older on like the lyricism, on the quality, on the rigor. I don't think it's that hard of a sale. I think, you know, once you get past profanity, Mm -hmm. the profanity is probably the part that made people a little bit older tune out. Right, right. But once you like broke down the lyrics and broke down the metaphor and simile and all the figurative language and, you know, and, and how, you know, certain artists would use their voices almost like jazz instruments, then I think that you could at least have like a mutual understanding. And perhaps I think that sort of back and forth might be missing today, where either perhaps I'm not as open to having those sorts of conversations with someone who is in their 20s and who can explain Playboy Cardi, (laughs) you know what I mean, in a way that like, oh, okay, I'm still not going to be a fan, but I at least understand like the thoughtfulness here. I understand, like, I see where this was constructed. I see how and why this was constructed this way. So we had Clover Hope on the first half, and we were also talking about just this topic about, like, hip-hop and rap and whether or not, you know, the genre is old enough for us not to age out of it so quickly, for our ears to age out of it, um, where we both expressed that we both kind of love it a bit less. Mm-hmm. Than we did 20, 25 years ago. And it's not even so much that we love the newer stuff less than the older stuff. I'm not as interested in the older stuff, too. Is that because it doesn't speak to who you are now, the way it did? I'm still trying to unpack that. I'm still trying to unpack what that is. Because, like, okay, I'll listen to an old Ghostface album. The Ghostface was my dude. Supreme Clientele is one of my top five mm-hmm. favorite albums of all time. Yeah. I'll listen to Supreme Clientele today, but if Ghostface is recording a new album, rapping in that same style, I don't know if I want to listen to it. I would rather just listen to old Ghostface instead of new Ghostface. Right. Even though that's the style that I am, that I have more of an affinity for. See what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's almost kind of like when you go back and, you know, not to personalize this too much, but... You go back and look at your old writings from, I don't know how many years ago, you know, maybe you do feel the same connection because, you know, it's nostalgic and you're looking at stuff that actually came from you. But does it speak to the times and who you are as a person now the way it did then? Probably not. Hopefully not, because hopefully you evolved in a way that, you know, old Damon is like, okay, yeah, that was that was me then. But, you know, I'm on a different I'm on a different thing now. I mean. I would hope that I see that Ghostface stays pretty active, relatively active, but I can't say I've listened to any of his more recent stuff either. But I would hope that he's bringing something to the game that um, is very much different than what he was doing in Wu-Tang's heyday. You know what I mean? I mean, you have to figure out, like, as an artist, how to keep it fresh. Or else it's just like, you know, making music for the sake of consumption, right? Like, if you ain't really inspired... I don't know. I think inspiration just, you know, built into that is the suggestion or the idea that it's new. 
You know what I mean? And if you're not inspired by um, what you're doing present day, then you probably are, are outdated, you know? But I feel like rap is aging in a way where it's allowing cats our age to... I don't know. I, I've been surprised on one hand how much I've been able to stay connected with. I think a lot of rappers, though, haven't gotten to that point where they feel like it's still cool to be rapping at this age, you know? I remember Andre 3000 talking about that years ago. He's like, I don't want to be still rapping past 40, you know? And so we only get a verse every blue moon from dude. But I'd really be curious to hear what Andre today has to say, you know what I mean? And so I, I still think there are cats trying to figure out how to bend the genre in that way where it doesn't have to just, you know, reflect youthful energy and ideas and imagination. You know what I mean? I'm glad you brought up the point about Dre because he is someone who I would want to hear new shit from him. Yeah. Like I would be very interested in a new album from him. I'm still interested in new J albums. Okay. Yeah. And I probably going to get struck by lightning by saying this out loud, but I'm still interested in new Kanye <laughs> albums. Oh, that's a whole nother episode, bro. Right? <laughs> 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 I'm interested at least in what he has to say. Mm. I can't call myself a fan anymore, but I'm interested. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I can't deny that there wouldn't be like, if, okay, Kanye dropped an album tomorrow, if I wouldn't be curious and interested about, okay, what, what is this going to sound like? Is it that kind of interest where it's like, man, I really want to hear what this cat got to say. Let me listen to this. Or is it like, do you keep bumping it for like weeks after that initial release? <laughs> I'm just curious because like, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I mean, the last Kanye album that I listened to heavy was probably um, Kissy Ghosts. Oh, yeah, that was a good one. Yeah, that's that's the last album that I, like, listened to, and still to this day. The rest, like, I'll give it a couple listens. Like, yeah, this, yeah, I think I'm good. But I guess my point is that there are artists, rap artists, who I would still be interested in, right? So maybe it's not necessarily about my ears Mm -hmm. or about the genre, or it's about, like, specific artists. You know what I mean? Where specific artists just have a certain aesthetic and a certain sensibility where you are more interested. Like, for instance, I'm not as interested in, like, murder rap. New murder rap. I'll listen to old, I'll listen to murder rap that was created (laughs) in 99. I I got my whole mixtape of murder raps (laughs) of all the mob deep, (laughs) you know what I mean? All all the murder rap. But new murder rap by old niggas... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right. it's not something <laughs> right 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 it's not something I'm interested in right I mean what's your relationship been like in terms of you know as a consumer obviously you keep up with it for a living mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know what I mean but as like just a consumer as a fan how has your relationship evolved with rap music I mean it's it's definitely different the kind of hip hop writer I am I don't even necessarily pretend to do a really good job of keeping up with it you know, I'm not a big, I don't write reviews a lot. Um, I do stay up late on Thursday just to see what comes out and, and, and try to listen to anything that looks interesting. But 
And and that's more from a I don't know. That's the only part that kind of feels like it's connected to how I used to consume hip hop as a kid. You know, if it was on like Tuesday and it was you know new album drop day, and just um, I don't know. It's that excitement. It's like Christmas morning type. Oh vibe. yeah. You know what I mean? But I find that I'm I, I tend to be um, I won't say disappointed, but 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 less happy about the presence that I unwrap. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And so again, because most of these artists tend to be younger, but then you know you, you get a week like the recent one where no name drops. Mm-hmm. You know, and I was looking forward to that album and yeah, I couldn't I couldn't wait to 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 play it. Um but were you excited about no name? I was excited last month when I heard it was coming. Okay. I was excited when I saw it in my, you know, in my title uh feed, whatever. And um and I'm I'm excited listening to it. I mean, she's snapping. She mm-hmm. she she's you know, she calling out folks and calling out herself and and um you know, if it, it feels like there's a sense of urgency behind what she has to say. Mainly because she's not saying the same thing that everybody else is saying, and that's mm-hmm. the, that's the one thing that so feels so different now. Um, that I don't even think it has anything to do with any kind of ageism or whatever. Like, you know, the industry has just you know figured out this thing in such a way that you know copycatting to a degree is very lucrative, and if you're trying to get on to a certain extent. You got to be able to say, you know, I'm following this branch of thought or sound or or aesthetic. And, and if you're too original, you know, a lot of times we may not ever find you or hear, hear of you. You know what I mean? So we find less people coming out that are just like, you know, sounding so countercultural, so counter to everything that's already out. You know, mm-hmm. and her her album sounds like that to me. So, yeah, I'm excited. Yeah. What about you? I mean, maybe Tyler, the creator's most recent album. I forgot the name of it. Oh, yeah. The, the mixtape joint? DJ? Yeah. With, did yeah, with yeah, yeah, yeah. Or maybe even yeah. going back to like Daytona. Mm. In terms of like excited. Okay. That's a good question. Because the excitement part is something that, again, I, I'm glad you put it like Christmas morning. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you're opening gifts, you're opening presents, and you just have that excitement of the anticipation where you can't sleep the night before. Yeah. Um, right. And that feeling is a feeling that is associated with youth because I'm not True. excited for Christmas gifts anymore. I'm excited <laughs> to right. see. I'm excited to see how my kids react right. to the gifts. But as right, far as right. like my own gifts, I mean, I, I fall asleep because I'm tired and I'm gonna. <laughs> you know what I mean? Christmas ain't exactly. keeping me up. Anymore. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. so, anyway, I guess to answer the person's question, um, you know, <laughs> to get back to that finally, <laughs> I, I don't think, I, I think you put it greatly. I don't, I, I think that you, that for people looking for the same thing in contemporary music, particularly mm-hmm. in like the youthful like the Cardis or like the, I don't know, Blue Face. I'm just naming people off the top of my head. But those right. sorts of people gonna, if you're looking for that, if you're looking for 
you know, what you heard in 99 and 2002, right? Mm-hmm. And, you're, and, you're, and, you, and you want that out of this, then of course it's not going to sound good. And so perhaps, yeah. you know, you need to, I don't know, you, you have to be more curious and more open to just different interpretations of what someone can do in the studio and on a song mm-hmm. To, mm-hmm. To, 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 to matter, you know, and, and, and yeah. to be, you know, and to exist under this large umbrella of, um, of hip hop, rap music. Yeah, yeah. And lastly, I, if I could say one more thing on it, like, I think the other thing that, that makes it harder for our generation now is because the industry works so different now. Like when we were like coming of age, you knew about all the albums within the hip hop genre that were out at a certain time. Mm -hmm. You knew about everything, you know what I mean? And if you were from a particular region, you knew about all the regional stuff or the stuff coming out of your city. It wasn't really super hard to find or be aware of, but now, you know, there's so much music. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like it's too it's too much music, and there's not enough uh, curation happening. We nobody listens to the radio anymore. The radio does a bad job of it anyway. Ever since they stopped letting DJs play what they want to play and all of that stuff, um, and and you know, I don't know. I, I don't know how you feel about the the uh the the playlists and the spotify's and all of that kind of stuff but it still serves you know commercial purposes the artists with the most money behind them yeah. tend to rise to the top so a lot of stuff that's out there that I think appeals to our generation unless you like a you know internet crate digger you ain't going to find it you're not going to know about it i mean i just came across this one group um deaf press that uh Andre G, uh, he's a writer at Rolling Stone, wrote about, you know, listen to him on Bandcamp. I was blown away. I was like, man, this album sounds so good. I wish more cats, you know, my age knew about this album. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure whoever the cat is that wrote this question in, I, w- I would be willing to bet, unless they're from Chicago, which is where this duo is from, that they have never heard of this Deaf Prez group. And so, it, it, it you know, we end up forming these 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 opinions on on what is really more so the industry than hip hop as a genre because the industry like siphons it down so much to where you know we only hearing probably like a tenth of of what's actually coming out for real for real but you know it's the billboard top 100 top 200 and um we already know you know that uh that's that's not necessarily where it's at you know? Well, you brought up you brought up a great point. You know, something that I haven't really considered is how we had like these built-in methods of curation. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Where we knew, like, yeah, we're not going to be able to listen to everything, but mm-hmm. we could get a DJ Clue mixtape, mm-hmm. or whoever mm-hmm. whoever you listen to, whoever's mixtape mm-hmm. you listen to, and you would have like, oh, okay, well, so this is on this album. This is the person. This is the next person, and so. I'm wondering, I, I, maybe there is that for people who are in their 20s, you know what I mean? But even, you know, you speak to the Spotify and the um, that curation is like algorithmic. 
um, you know, on, on Spotify and on YouTube and wherever else, you know, whatever other streaming platform that there is. And so there's not like a human behind saying, hey, this is, you know, this is, I'm, I'm the tastemaker. And, and there, and not just one tastemaker, but multiple tastemakers where it's like, you know what, I usually trust this person. I usually trust this person's opinion. And so if they're saying that these are the albums I need to listen to, these are the albums I need to listen to. Right. You know, and even going back to having the source and vibe and having these magazines that do reviews, that do the cover stories, and that had the trusted writers and reporters and journalists that are giving out, you know, that are that are rating these albums. I mean, you still have Pitchfork, obviously, but it's it's just not it's not the same. It's just not it's just not the same. Yeah. Right. So it's, it's not, it's not. And even, and even with, with whatever, whatever resources, you know, we have in, in music journalism, it's, it's no way you can keep up with the output. Yeah. Man. The output is incredible, which, you know, I don't know if that speaks to the vitality of the genre or of the industry itself. You know, there's this, this talk this year of, of, of hip hop becoming, you know, less vital or, or less important because, until this Travis Scott album, there hadn't been there hadn't been a number one album, um, which I think that's like the worst way to determine the vitality of hip hop. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, go to 1989 and and tell me who <laughs> who in hip hop had a number one Billboard album. We didn't care. We mm-hmm. did not care about that kind of stuff. So I really hate that that's even used as like a goalpost now to determine like, oh, is is hip hop Still killing shit. Well, let's check Billboard. Nah, that ain't really the the pulse of the culture. But you know, it is what it is. Kind of where we are right now. Rodney Carmichael, thank you for coming through. Yeah, yeah, appreciate it, man. Yeah, thank you. It's a lot of fun. Whoever asked that question, I hope you got something <laughs> out of this. <laughs> Hopefully, go, Hopefully. Go check out. <laughs> hey, go go check out Def Prez. D E F Prez. It's, it's, Boom. It's, it's, there you, you go. You might you might dig it. You might dig it. <laughs> All right, man. All right. Take care. Again, just want to thank Clover Hope, Ronnie Carmichael. Great conversation. Great guests. It's a very hip hop themed episode. And I really appreciated both of their perspectives. Just helping me think through some of my feelings about my relationship with consuming and with listening. Also, Suck With Damien Young is available on every platform, but if you're on Spotify, there are interactive questions, answers. You go through the app. Please knock yourself out with that. Have a lot of fun. And also, if you have any questions whatsoever about anything, hit me up at DearDamon at Crooked.com. All right, y'all. See you next week. Stuck with Damon Young is hosted by me, Damon Young. From Crooked Media, our executive producers are Kendra James and Madeline Herringer. Our producers are Ryan Wallerson and Morgan Moody. Mixing and mastering by Sarah Gibbalaska and the folks at Chapter 4. Theme music and score by Taka Yazuzawa. And special thanks to Charlotte Landis. And from Spotify, our executive producers are Lauren Silverman, Neil Drumming, and Matt Schiltz. Special thanks to Leslie Guam 
and Crystal Hall Stressler.